This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 200. (laughs) So stupid. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hood. I am here with my substitute co-host, Mark Eckert. Good to have you here again, my dude. I'm here. I'm perfect. I can pronounce things. This was Brian's second intro because he couldn't say my name. (laughs) What's good, fam? If you heard last week's episode, like I just butchered the intro and left it in because you know what? I'm trying to be, what do they call it? More uh, vulnerable or something? Authentic, vulnerable. Yeah. Or just keeping in all my f***ups. We're we're doing these intros so Brian can stop calling me at 3 a.m. crying about just everything. (laughs) So just kidding. Brian keeps it all in. I can't get a damn feeling out of this guy. I got to call him twice before he picks up. It's true. I mean, it's because, okay, this is just one of those wonderful life hacks for anyone listening or watching right now. And that is if you want to get a damn thing done in your life, put your phone and your computer in do not disturb 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because if they're not on your favorites list, they're not getting through. Mark, you're actually not on my favorites list. What the f***, dude? <laughs> I only have my family. I only have my family on there. That's why you're not family. I'm like genuinely upset. I'm genuinely <laughs> upset. No, I'm kidding. It's fine. I was gonna say, if it makes you feel any better, I just haven't even considered to add you yet. This is the first time I'm like, maybe I should add Mark to it. No, it's it's actually fine because nobody's in my favorites. Uh, even Shira, my wife, has to call me twice. Like, it's like not even an opt-in thing. Oh, my neon sign just went out again. Yeah, this is uh, Mark's struggle. If you're watching the YouTube version right now, he has a cheaper version of my neon light behind him and it just went out because it's cheap and crappy. It's a neon sign that says, please don't do coke in the bathroom. Anyways, people aren't even on my favorites. I actually just have to let them know that they can call me. So that way it's an opt in, not an opt out. You see that? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Good job. For anyone who's not following along, if you call somebody twice in a row when their phone is on do not disturb, it'll bypass the do not disturb and still go through. That's more than enough. Let's move on. We're not going to talk about iPhones or Dino Disturb anymore. Let's, let's bring up the topic for today, Mark, before we lose any more listeners right now. Last week, we talked about client acquisition for freelancers. We talked a lot about the mindset behind it. I want to make a series of this, Mark. If you're cool with this, maybe we do a multi-part series here. I have some interviews lined up, so you'll, it'll have to be between the interviews. But client acquisition is kind of like, there's a few ways to look at it and there's a few different parts. But at the core of it, there's like, there's two parts. There's the part of lead generation. And then there's the part of actual sales. Like how do you get leads? Meaning someone who's like, express interest in working with you. And then how do you turn those leads into to clients or customers, depending on what your context is. And today we want to talk about that second part. We'll probably follow this in no sequential order. It'll be just a weird hodgepodge of like different client acquisition things over this next series. But today's focus is on sales. And Mark has some cool stuff to share with us today because you actually, you have a sales, a big sales call in like less than 50 minutes from now that you have to go to. So literally the stuff we're talking about now, you'll be implementing in this call. Yeah. So basically, uh, for those of you just chiming in, or if you don't know what I do, I started out only producing. That's what I did. Just producing tracks, music production, music production, had a studio, still have a studio, but I have a site thatpitch.com where we get producers tracks into massive music licensing companies. And we pay out a bunch of money and royalties to everyone. For anyone listening at 2x speed, he said that pitch, P-I-T-C-H, not what you thought you might've heard there, but continue on. It's not Lizzo. Um, Anyways, but but, uh, yeah, in 50 minutes, I have a call with a new licensing company. What I I recently learned is there's not a massive difference in selling to someone if you're a freelancer, like when I was just producing, selling to an artist. 
versus an enterprise sale, which is selling to a company. So when I was just producing, you know, I would work with an artist. We would do anywhere between $1,000 a track to maybe $3,000 a track. And now for this client, for instance, I have two offers for them. One could be north of half a million dollars. Another one could be five to $10,000 a month. And I recently learned this from actually one of my mentors. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about dating last week. We, last week, we talked so much about dating and, and being sad and lonely in our 20s that we thought we'd, we'd probably will be equating a lot of this conversation back to relationships, personal relationships, romantic relationships. But there's so many parallels between relationships with your clients and relationships with your spouse or your, or your lover or your girlfriend or whatever you want to call it or boyfriend. It's just easy to, to equate those things because a lot of people, if they struggle with, with sales specifically, they, they don't understand why. But when you put it in romantic terms, it's a lot easier to understand why you're struggling with sales. Right. So what's very typical is people, you know, if they're on a call doing a sales call, they get a script. You've heard, you've maybe heard of like sales scripts, kind of read through this thing. You ask questions, see and learn about the prospective client as much as you can. Well, one of my mentors recently, this guy is doing well over 6 million a year or so right now. He's doing very well. And he let me know, here are the things that he covers on a sales call. And he basically said, this is how you know if they give you the wink. If you can go through all of this stuff and everything comes back positive, they are giving you permission to make an offer. And that was huge for me. And I wish, oh my gosh, I wish I had this when I was just freelancing at that point, because I think I would have landed so many more deals. So what, what we have, what you texted me, this is basically our outline for the show. This is essentially a sales outline or sales script. I, mean, I wouldn't call it a script because you're not following word for word, but it is an outline. You are basically each one of these points here is an area of topic and exploration. I'm going to read these off and I want you to write it down. I think that would be best for anybody listening is write these down and then we can kind of cover all of them. And if you are in a place where you can't write things down, maybe you're driving, you're on a walk or doing something, these bullet points will be in our show notes at sixfigurecreative.com slash 200, 200. Fun fact, this is our big 200th episode and we haven't even made a big deal about it, which is another side lesson to talk about. And that is just saying, you don't have to celebrate every damn milestone in your life. Sometimes there's more to be gained by just chugging along and just getting stuff done than to worry about doing a big hurrah every, every hundred episodes of a podcast. So we're not doing anything big crazy for this episode, but there could be an argument made that I don't celebrate my wins enough. So maybe we should have done something bigger for this episode, Mark. Brian is completely lying to his whole audience because I just sent him a fruit basket. I sent over flowers. It's a big celebration at the hood house. Just kidding. I have not done that. You've done none of those things. You've done none of those things. But I've graced you with my presence and that is enough. I am enough. So, so read these out. These will be in our show notes again to sixfigurecreative.com slash 200 if you can't write these down. But go ahead and read them out and then we'll actually cover these and what they mean and how you can implement them yourself. So these are the seven things that you need to cover with a prospective client. And if everything comes back positive, they are giving you the wink, you know, to give them a little smooch, make an offer. Anyways, so need timing, risk, budget, method, authority, delivery. Those are the seven things you need to cover on any call. And that sounds super underwhelming, but we're going to actually dive into each point here. And we have about 40 minutes to knock all these out before you have to go and close your half million dollar deal. All right, let's talk about need first. Need is the first bullet point on this list. How do you approach this on the call? I think the main thing is that a lot of times people are really just 
talking about what they do. Like if you are talking to someone for the first time, you're saying I'm doing this and I can do this and I can do that, but you don't actually understand the need of the person. Why are they even a prospective client? What is their need? Are they kind of just flaunting with the idea of working with you? Or is this a genuine need that they have that they need to get solved? Like one of the things I like to do on calls with my prospective clients is just ask them what motivated them to even book the call with me in the first place. Because the way I have my website set up is they can book calls with me. It's them asking me for a call. I'm not like going out there, like bugging people for a call. It wouldn't make sense if you were like bugging the hell out of somebody and then saying, what motivated you to finally give me the chance? Like that really doesn't work that way. But just asking about their main motivation and asking some sub questions within that. Do you have anything that you like your go-to line or kind of things that you ask around finding their need? I say to kind of everyone, what was the tipping point where you realized you needed some help? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And a lot of times they end up telling a story. And it's very, very clear that there is a massive issue with that. It kind of brings out a lot of empathy because nobody wants to be sold to. They want someone that they can trust that connects with them and genuinely wants their best interest. And I think that's part of sales. It's just trust. I think the my favorite part about that question is it's worded so well to actually elicit a story because they have to go back to a specific point and recall that point. And the, I've heard this quote. I have no idea if there's merit to this, but I feel like there is. But people buy with emotion and then justify with logic later on. So if you actually prompt this entire call to start off with them talking about the story where they realized the tipping point where they needed help, that's an emotional conversation. And it's probably a good place to start with any kind of sales call. When you're on a call with someone, you have no idea what they're going through that day. You know, they might have just picked up their kids. There's a bunch going on. You know, not everybody's always going to be in the, you know, everybody would like there to be some, um, They've committed that hour to talk to you, but a lot of times people are just in a rush. I had a sales call where the guy was talking to me on his phone in his car with two five and under kids in the backseat squirming around. <laughs> they were parked. They weren't driving. I wouldn't have talked to him if he was driving, but they were parked and they were squirming around. Yeah. I mean, literally this, this was hilarious. I was on a sales call. There's a client we work with out of Tel Aviv. They get a lot of music from us and they're, they're an amazing company. I know what client that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, one of my partners, Joel, for that pitch. He had his, his dog just got a haircut and I guess it got f-ed up. So they had to like bring back the dog. So the dog's in the back of the car. He's got kids from soccer practice with him. And we're on this huge call with the head of music, head of A&R, the executives. It was just awesome. But, you know, they thought it was hilarious. So it worked out great. Authenticity, right? So, yeah, once you kind of figure out that need, preferably you want to connect with them and be like, yeah, I totally get it. This is why we exist. Like, that's I see what you're going through. And yeah, you need to get that figure it out. Just prefacing here, when I went through these seven things, I'm not really all about sales scripts or anything like that. Cause I'm just, you know, I shoot this. Shit. I'm a pretty authentic guy. I don't need a script necessarily. Only a non-authentic guy would say that he's a pretty authentic guy. So I call bullshit on that. I'm very inauthentic. This is not me guys. <laughs> You're bad for me, by the way. I, I basically completely stopped cussing on the podcast until you came on. And now I feel like my bleeps have like gone up 10 X. What I was saying though is you don't have to go in order for all of this. You just want to cover all of these things on the call. So basically you're giving them permission to skip around on one of these other seven bullet points. So like if something naturally comes up in conversation, just have the conversation right then and there. Like if the budget comes up or if they're one of these other things like authority, which we'll talk about what that is method. We'll talk about what that is. Like if one of these other things come up, talk about it, chat about it, but make sure please God that you're taking notes during this call. Cause the last thing you need to do is forget something <laughs> they said that was super important. Yeah. If you got good people skills, you can kind of just ride the call and go through everything. If you can't really talk to people very well, then maybe you want to have like a general outline, but 
I, I'm okay at this at this time. Anyway, so the next thing is you want to go through timing. It's pretty simple. Like, where are they at in the process? How quickly do they need this solved? Is it urgent? And that that's, to be honest, in my experience, nobody's going to speed up their time. I, I've had a lot of sales calls at this point, and I'm, I would love to learn. Like, I would love to get a lot more knowledge on this and see if there's a thing. But as an example, if somebody's paying taxes next month, and they're getting married, they're going to be low on cash, you know, or for these enterprise sales, this company I'm speaking to in 40 or 39 minutes, let's hurry up. Um, This company, they're waiting on funding. I can't speed that up. There's another reason to ask about timing because sometimes like, especially when you're doing a bigger deal, like Mark's talking about in the next hour, you're not going to close that on the call and collect money right there. Like that's just not how those work with that sort of stuff. Like having the, having a deadline or having an understanding of timing helps you in the follow-up process so that you can always have that date in mind and understand how you need to pace your follow-ups so that you're top of mind when that date comes. So that if they are considering multiple people to work with, that you are top of mind. Again, if, if everyone else is following up according to the timeline they've laid out and you're not following up with them and you're not staying top of mind, you're not going to get the gig. You're not going to win the project ever. The timing is an important element to, to write down and put on your damn calendar if you're trying to close them. And actually that, what you just talked about is actually covered later on that's actually under the section method oh cute well we'll talk about that again but either way the advice is prudent (laughs) yep so next is risk what's going to be the issue if they don't take action on this so for instance if you're a graphic designer and you're doing a logo design for someone well if they have a new campaign dropping or maybe they just got let's say you're doing a a design for podcast art yeah podcast art right well let's say they're coming up on their 200th 200th episode, this is maybe the time to rebrand or something. Please, God, no, I don't want to go through that again. (laughs) But one of the things is like, okay, when is the next time you guys are doing, you know, a big launch or something? Let's make sure that it arrives within that. So is there a risk for you not doing this at all? Or I'm just, I'm connecting over what I'm doing right now, but like this company would be getting a lot of music from us. What's the risk of them not taking action? Well, they get all of this money. They want to launch this you know, big company and have a big catalog of music. And if they don't take action with us soon, they're not going to have a product. <laughs> so it's like, do we, do we get this together now? How do you approach this conversation without kind of feeling slimy? Because it, it could go slimy very quickly. An example would be like, so let's talk about what happens if we don't get this done in time, guys. Here's the thing, like regarding this question, I think it's all about tone because on sales calls or anything, uh, what I've realized is actually being upfront about stuff. If you genuinely have their best interest, which should be every sales call, do not work with someone unless you can help them. They feel that a lot of your tone is going to set the precedent on the call. Can you give us an example? Yeah. So if you're like, what's going to happen if you don't work with me? (laughs) That's shitty. That, That sounds awful. Exactly. But if you say something along the lines of, Okay, so if this doesn't happen, do you guys have any other thing that you're looking for? Like, is there going to be an issue? Is this an urgent need? Or I just want to make sure that if we do work together, we can be prepared for that. Because if this is something that's really important to you guys, we want to make sure that it can't happen. So what is there a problem if it doesn't? So another way of looking at this, and this is something I do on my calls, is, is consequences. Like, what are the consequences of them not fixing this. That's kind of what you're saying. Like, what are the consequences of them leaving it exactly how it is right now? Yeah, because if you come at it from a point of, I'm trying to get leverage on you, they know that people are smart. But if you come at it from a point of, 
hey, I care about you. I want to make sure whether or not we work together, you're not at risk. So let's say I'm not ready for this. Maybe I can get you in contact with somebody else. How important is this to you? And if it doesn't happen, is it going to, you know, bankrupt you all? I think people understand the tone. And honestly, like, I don't know how to teach people skills, but like, if you genuinely give a fuck about people, people know. Just to sum this whole this whole point up, it's either risk or I would say consider consequence. You're literally just trying to figure out what happens if they don't hire you or what happens if the thing they're trying to accomplish falls apart or never gets done. I never actually say what happens if you don't hire us. I'm just saying what happens if this problem is not fixed. If you lead it back to yourself, then it means leverage. But if you lead it back to their problem, that makes the focus on them. That is the differentiator in my opinion. They don't give a fuck about you, but they're on a call with you because they're trying to solve an issue. Talk about the issue. Don't talk about yourself. Kind of like how when you called me the other day to talk about something that you and I have been discussing, you just talked about yourself the whole time. Well, yeah, because I mean, you love me and I'm perfect and you should talk about me more often. Um, okay. Just joking. <laughs> I'm not. No, kidding. Let's, let's go. Let's go to the next bullet point here. We got uh, next is budget. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't. Because most freelancers' number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. That's the big B word people are scared to talk about, which is unfortunate. This is my thing is I think everyone should state the fun, not don't say budget, the funds that they have allotted to solve this problem prior to you getting on a call because everyone's going to reach out. But if you have an ability and you can do this through easy funnels in, in the form when they are reaching out to you easyfunnels.io, bam, bam, bam. And it's actually great. I'm switching over to it. If someone states what funds they have to solve this problem or complete this project, that is a, that is a genuine question of seeing, hey, the funds that you have, is this in line with the issue you're trying to solve? I call it a, like a filtering question. So like if someone's going to get on a call with you, you have to know just at least the bounds, the boundaries of their budget. Like you don't have to have an exact number. So I actually changed my form to give uh, budget ranges. No one's going to put an exact number in there. Even when I make it a required field, people will just say not sure. When I put budget ranges, now people are selecting the budget ranges because the whole point is depending on your budget. And, and obviously for me, it depends on what business I'm talking about here, but depending on your budget is going to determine how I can build out your package because the higher your budget, the more we can do. 
the lower your budget, the more we have to sacrifice. So I have to know this number. So that's, it's a really good way to approach that conversation because you're making it again about them. Depending on your budget, that determines what we are able to do together and the cool things that I can build out as a proposal for you or as part of this project. I'm actually really surprised you never had ranges. I've only had ranges. That's really funny. Since day one, I've always had budget line items and I used to make it required and then I took it off required. I've just tested a bunch of stuff, but this is the first time I've done ranges. I've always said ranges and I've always, I've never had not sure actually. I've had a minimum. So I think it it just depends what your offer is. But like for producing, there was nothing you could click below $1,000. So people got the message. This is my only ability to work is if these funds are there. There's another thing here though, because I've seen some people asking like, what happens if you get all over this point and you're just way out of alignment with what their budget is? Do you feel like you've just wasted both your times getting to this point where it's like this far in? Tell me your thoughts, but I'm going to tell you my thoughts is that if you get to that point regularly, then you need to put another filter in place that says our projects start at blank. And it needs to be a number that is going to scare off the like the cheap tire kicker people who are just looking for a cheap project. You don't have to give specifics, but just just like our projects begin at five grand, four grand. I think that's a, a great starting point. And if you're first starting out, I think that's fantastic. If you have some experience on your belt and you understand the audience that's coming to you and they you understand their issues, then I think that's when you start crafting a downsell or an upsell, you, you know, or a cross sell, or you have a kickback program with, you know, one of your friends who has uh, a different offer. And just to clarify what he's talking about there, he talked about a bunch of different stuff, which we've talked about in the podcast before. Our editor will try to find those episodes if he can, but because I don't know the specific numbers, but one thing that you said, the downsell, there are three types of services you can offer that I think people really haven't thought about. There's the done for you, which is what most freelancers just default to. I will do this thing for you. I will be your copywriter or I will record your music or I will take your photos or I will make a video for you. But there's also done with you, meaning like I will help you, but you're going to do the work. I will guide you through writing the copy for your website, or I will guide you through taking your own photos and maybe I'll process them for you, or I will guide you through recording your own music, but I might mix it for you. So there's kind of blended services and it's usually much cheaper and much less time intensive for you. And then there's the do it yourself where you can actually, this is what a lot of people have moved to, which is you're teaching somebody in their own time to do the thing themselves. But we'll maybe have another whole other episode on that because that's a fun topic to talk about when it comes to down sales. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest lessons I always, I had I forgot who said this. Maybe it was, maybe it was like Frank Kern, like one of the more old OGs, like in, in marketing, the OG internet marketing guys, let's go. But he said something and it was so simple. He was just like, always have an offer, always have an offer. I heard that, but there's another way I heard someone say it's never run out of things to sell to somebody. <laughs> yeah. That's another way to look at it. Yeah. Not to get too off subject, but like Look at car companies, you know, like Toyota, Scion, Lexus. I think there's a more expensive one. If you think about it, they're like down sales for like or upsells for different points in the market, but it's all owned by Toyota or something. You know, I'm not you know, a car expert, but like the thing is, they'll have different lines for different people for different budget ranges, budget ranges, experiences, whatever, whatever they're into. And you'd be surprised, you know, maybe you're a, a fantastic photographer and somebody reaches out to you. They actually don't really want their photo taken. Maybe they just want to learn from you. So maybe they can pay to shadow you or something like that. You have never, that's what I did. My first, my first online course was the, my first foray into do it yourself. I made a mixing course. I had a ton of people coming to me that they love my mixes as a mixing engineer. They love the sound that I created and and the niche that I was a part of, which was heavy metal. And, and they wanted to learn from me. And I, the last thing I wanted to do is sit one-to-one and teach somebody to do it. So I wasn't going to do it with them. I wasn't going to offer a done with you solution. So I just went straight to the do it yourself 
And that course has done hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. And I still do uh, multiple five figures a year of that course. I don't promote it. I don't advertise it. I don't, I don't even know how people find it. And I still sell it to this day. And I haven't taught mixing related things in like seven or eight years. So <laughs> it's, it's great. For that pitch, we have lifetime memberships. For my own production site, I had an NDPR bundle and this course called Getting Your Shit Together. And it's basically like how to register all your shit, whatever. Okay, so let's move on. We've, we've, we've talked about the need. So discovering the need that the person came to you with. We talked about the timing. What's the timing around the project? We talked about the risk or another way of saying risk would be the consequences of you know, not following through or not getting this, this problem solved. We talked about the budget. So we're now on to number five and that's something called the method. Talk about this, Mark. Yeah, so this is something that I recently got a word for. And again, my mentor taught me this and it was, it was profound because I never really actually talked about this on sales calls. Again, I wish I had this earlier on. It's basically, how are they choosing? Do they have other options? Have they considered other things to solve their problem? And that's been really interesting because there's multiple things you can gain from that. If you're saying, how are they choosing? You can kind of dive into their motivation for the type of person or the type of service they want to work with. Some people want a lot more handholding, so you can kind of set expectations with this. Some people just want to fuck off and you do everything for them. And then considering options, this gives you a general understanding of their understanding of how to solve this. Can you give some examples? Because you're being very, very theoretical here. (laughs) I need some practical examples of what you're talking about here with method. Like, what does this mean? Give me an example as like a freelancer and not your big that pitch stuff. How are they choosing? What kind of person do they want to work with? You know, is it someone that they're going to work with in person? Are they wanting to do something more remote? What are their preferences for how everything is done? Is this going to be online? Like, uh, remote? Is this going to be asynchronous? Meaning like I send you something, then you work on it in your own time and then you send it back to me and I work on my own time. Or is it going to be in person live, like face to face? What are the most important attributes to them? Like what's extremely important that maybe you haven't covered and that goes into their decision-making. Maybe people really love fancy gear. Maybe they want the full studio. Like if you're producing, they want the full studio experience and they want to have like a bunch of photographers there so they can make a music video. That's their dream outcome in realizing that you're just a step in that dream outcome. And then for considering options already, what have they done so far? Like, have they talked to people who are also doing the same thing as you? Have they talked to other freelancers? Have they tried doing this themselves before and realized they couldn't do it? Do they not have the time? It's just getting a more nuanced understanding of like, what is going into their calculation of choosing you? versus someone else or not doing it at all or doing it themselves. My past is in audio and so many artists would just do it themselves instead of hiring. That's what you're up against a lot of times. In other niches, it's the same thing. Like photographers can tend to struggle with this because cameras are so affordable now. Videography, maybe a little less so, but the camera gear is kind of getting there as well. We're talking about method. We're talking about deciding how they are choosing who they hire here or if they hire at all. Is there anything else you're trying to figure out during this kind of portion of the call? What's their history? so far by solving this. That, that's essentially what this comes down to is what has led up to this decision-making and how you got on the call. And it's, it's different than the need because the need says, this is what our problem is. The method is, this is what we've already tried to do and what we've researched. And this is also how we got here. And you can learn a lot more about it. Like for instance, producing, everybody wants to be friends in the studio. And a lot of times, you know, clients of mine would feel like shit because 
they would hire someone and it was just a hourly thing and they got out. A lot of times they wanted to feel connected to that person and like, you know, maybe they wanted to get hooked up with a manager and that's their end goal. And I get this. So this is going to be one of those, those line items that's going to vary depending on the niche in the service and what you offer. But I'm just thinking through like what I know and what I've done myself. And a lot of this is like, all right, I'm going to talk about music production. Sorry for anyone who's not in music production, which is a, a bigger portion of our audience now than it used to be. But when someone's coming to me, just say for recording services, like I want to know what are their expectations for the project? Do they want the big studio experience? Do they want something that's like small and cozy? Are they trying to save the most money? Like, well, I guess what are the things that are going to weigh their options? Because they may want the big studio experience, but the thing we just talked about, their budget is just not there. So we've got to say, all right, this is part of your decision-making, but the budget's not really there. So we've got to even this out and, and make the scales even. Like in podcast production, talking to clients who are trying to launch a podcast, what are, what are the things that they are looking for? Do they need help with gear? Are they looking to choose, do they need a studio to go into? So you're just, at this point, you're just trying to find the specifics of the project. Is that kind of where you're at with this? Yeah. And just their history leading up to it. Oh, what have they tried so far? Did you try to launch a podcast six months ago and then you did three episodes and then faded out and failed because it was too much work for you? Yeah. Like what I'm going to be covering on this call in 21 minutes now is with this section, have they hired a team before? Have they worked with a team to source a bunch of music and go through legal and stuff like that? That's what we do. So it's like, do they know the issues that they're going to face? Or have they already faced them and they know that this is the decision? And again, that is kind of what we were talking about with like, they give you the wink. Yes, we've already dealt with, I already had terrible boyfriends in the past. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> hey, you're so great. You'd be out to dinner. We haven't brought up relationship stuff yet. So thanks for throwing back to that. This is basically talking about their exes. That, that's what this is. You're talking about their exes. You've talked about their exes and what those exes didn't have that you're looking for in your next person. He just hated Chinese food in Seinfeld as you're overlooking the TV, which Seinfeld is playing and you are eating General Tso's. You're putting the clues together. And so the next thing is authority. Who's the decision maker here? So for instance, if you're a wedding photographer, it's probably going to be the couple. They're both going to decide who they want. It's not just going to be one or the other. Oh, you're trying to find the decision maker in this portion. So like if... Who's saying yes and has the authority to say yes? Because if there's, let's say, going back to production, if it's a band... There's five different band members. They all have to sign off on it. The singer is the one making the decision. So it's like... <laughs> So it's like if you're talking to the bassist and the bassist is like, yo, I, I love Brian. He's great. Yeah, dude, let's work with you. I can guarantee you no bassist in any band is making decisions for that band. They are the lowest on the totem pole. But that, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> it's like who's the, who is not saying yes, but who can give the authority of yes? And if you're talking to a, somebody who wants to get uh, a new LinkedIn profile, you know, for a corporate photo or something like that. And I mean, another one you said, you're talking about wedding photographers, but sometimes you might only be talking to one of the two spouses. So it's like they both need to sign off for, it. and maybe even it's the wedding planner as well. Like you maybe you have to figure out who, who is part of the decision-making process here. This is what I learned lately, which was crazy is I thought this was kind of rude to ask before is straight up just ask. Hey, so who's kind of making the, the decision here? I just want to know, like, is this kind of a communal thing or is it one of you guys? Like, or is it just you? And people actually really respect you asking that. In my experience, I thought it was a rude thing. And then I learned it's extremely clarifying and respectful to just be like, what's going on here? Like, yeah. Find the, the authority or the decision maker who is actually going to have the authority to say, yes, this is the, the person we're going to hire for the project. Cause the last thing you want to do is like spend all this time and get all these like wonderful yeses. I, I love it. I'm into it. Let me go talk to my 
business partner <laughs> who is going to be in China until next month. And if that's the thing and it's like, oh, I'm not the decision maker. It's, you know, it's Ted. Then be like, OK, well, let's we should get on a call with Ted. Uh, we can talk about whatever you want, but I respect your time and like I don't want to waste it. And we should just get on a call together. So let's all get on a call together. Can we schedule next week? Is that OK? He'll say, yeah. And then delivery is the last one. This really comes down to, you know, done for you, done with you, do it yourself. It's what are they expecting of the fulfillment process? When I see the word delivery, my mind goes back to my, my studio days where I'm thinking about like file formats and like how I'm going to deliver the masters, but this is not the delivery of the actual, this is not deliverables, is it? Is this more about how you're, how you're transferring value? Is that what you're talking about here? Like what does delivery mean in this? Delivery means the way in which the value is delivered. Not the end goal, but how you get there. Okay, so this is the the vehicle basically that you're taking to deliver the value that they're that they're paying you for. So as the delivery, you're going to be the consultant on the project and you're going to make sure everything is done correctly. Are you the one actually doing the work or are you outsourcing the work and you're basically a project manager or a, a producer in, in other words here? So how do you bring this up in the conversation? This is exactly how I say it because in my experience, this isn't everybody's, but in my experience, if you have a different delivery, a different way in which it's done than the client expects, they a lot of times think that you betrayed them. So this is actually to protect yourself in the future and to, in best case scenario, get another sale. This is setting expectations, basically. You're trying to set expectations to make sure you're on the same playing field. You're playing the same sport, essentially. Let's say that I'm a big photographer, okay? This couple wants to hire me to do their wedding. They talked to me. We had all of our meetings. You know, I was there. They loved my vision and we shared the same vision for how the photos are going to come out. And then the wedding happens and my team is there, not me. Ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. They thought that they were going to experience the relationship with you. And I would, I understand that because we connected really well with our wedding photographer and she was the one at the wedding taking the photos. And it would have been really weird if she just had some assistant there that we'd never met or talked to before. So what I, what I typically say is what is your dream scenario for this? You want to make sure that they are comfortable throughout the process and there's communication in the ideal scenario that they anticipate communication. Is it from you? Is it from someone else? Is it from someone you're hiring? Is it you every day? Is it you once a month? How is the process going to go down for you delivering that value? I'll give you another example. Just in my, in my mixing days, when I was mixing and mastering full-time, that was my main gig. And I would have bands that wanted to come in the studio while I mixed and mastered. I didn't want that. So if I closed a client and charged what I charged, and that wasn't discussed ahead of time, that expectation wasn't set, then they would have felt like that I took something from them. Like I was not allowing them in the studio while I mixed and mastered. And the reason I didn't allow that is because it took three times longer when they're there. So if they were looking for somebody to sit in on the session while we mixed, I'm not your guy. So I've either got to, to nip that in the bud right there before I take payment, or they just got to find somebody else. Yeah. And that was actually a big thing for me early on is back in 2016, 17 or something. When I started producing remote a lot, a lot of people would reach out and they're like, Hey man, I want to work with you in person. And a few gigs I did take on because it was kind of fun. Like they would pay for my flights and I, you know, it was awesome. Didn't you go to Australia for a, a project? Went to Australia, Italy, Ireland, a lot of international flights of, you know, they would Fiji. It was awesome. <laughs> Plenty of different states. But if that made sense for me, then I would do it. But most of the time, it's like, no, I just want to produce this remote. And so 
again, this is when we got to a point uh, when we were out to dinner. We're talking about our future goals. You know, do you want a family? Do you want to meet my parents? And then you realize that all of this is like delivery. Okay, so like delivery. My next door neighbor, awesome guy, but he, you know, it's April. Wait, no, it's May. It's May. He's already <laughs> he's already had 120 flights this year. That's his job. Shoo. No. No thanks. And yeah, exactly. A lot of girls say that too. So he was he was hanging out with Shira and I and we're just talking and he was talking about how it's really hard to date. He's a great guy, awesome dude, so genuine. You know, he like brought us over some liquor the other day and we were just hanging out. Genuine guy. And um it's hard to date because that's a non-negotiable. You got to be home for the girls that he wanted to date. So in delivery, it's like when we're in this relationship together, what can I expect day to day from you? I think this is a good place to wrap this up because I see what time it is and Mark's got to get to a sales call here. Yeah. If anyone has any questions, we also have in the show notes, a link to a dedicated community post in our Facebook community where you can ask questions. Mark, you're in our Facebook community. You kind of interact in there occasionally. So if you have anything, any questions for Mark, go to that, that thread in our show notes page. Again, the link to that show notes page is sixfigurecreative.com slash 200 for this episode. Sales is such an important part of this entire client acquisition process. This is a very solid outline. I've seen a few more and I follow a slightly different outline for most of my sales calls, but I feel like most people have zero outline whatsoever. So make sure you wrote those uh, bullet points down. Again, their need, timing, risk, budget, method, authority, and delivery. Those are the seven bullet points. Make sure you cover each of those in your calls with your clients. Obviously, you have to change a few things around depending on who you're talking to and depending on what your niche is. But this is a, a great resource. This, this entire episode is a great resource. Almost, this is almost like a, honestly, this is more like a webinar because we're literally teaching like tactical step-by-step things to talk about in a sales call. I am currently right this second, I might regret this. I am currently working on a client acquisition guide for freelancers. I am almost done with it right now. And this episode airs in like four days. So if you want this guide, it's, what should I call it, Mark? The Client Acquisition Cookbook? I don't know. I I like that name. That's a good name. We'll come up with a name for it. I like that. I like that. Anything with a cookbook, bro, you know I'm in. That was my first (laughs) ebook. That's great. Yeah. So if you want that, just go to, I'm going to make up a URL right now and it'll be there by the time this episode airs, sixfigurecreative.com slash C-A-C. That's Client Acquisition Cookbook, CAC for those of you who know that acronym. And if it's not ready by the time this episode airs, there'll at least be a landing page. You can sign up and I'll send it to you as soon as it's done. So that's all I have for you today. Any last little thoughts here on sales, Mark, before you run off and try to close your big gig? Wish me luck, people. F- I want to land this. So that's it. <laughs> Good luck, my dude. Let's, let's bring this back to me. What really matters here, right? <laughs> 